Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Welcome everyone in person and those Arden on the go traveling. We want to welcome you also. Today we start a brand new series, This Changes And because this changes everything, everything changes when you accept Christ. So today we're going to be in John 11. As you turn there, I want to give you a little comeback story. How many of you enjoy comeback stories? Um, This goes back to the 70s and beyond. How many of you guys remember George Foreman? All right. If you don't know who George Foreman is, you probably heard of the George Foreman Grill. For those of you who weren't in the 70s and beyond. But anyways, George Foreman... He was a comeback story to begin with. He dropped out of high school, and he, he kind of uh, struggled through life, and he ended up going to the Job Corps. And in the Job Corps, he basically learned how to box, and he became so good that he kept knocking person after person out, and eventually he became the heavyweight champion of the world. And all is well until he met this newcomer, that knocked him out. And then after that, he began to lose matches. And George Foreman wasn't so on top of the world anymore. So he retired. And three years after he was knocked out and lost his title of heavyweight champion of the world, he had a face-to-face encounter. He had a religious experience. And God spoke to him and basically called his name that he needed to get saved. He needed to give his life to Christ. So as the Holy Spirit drew him, he gave it, he surrendered his life to Christ. And he became an ordained minister, moved to Houston, Texas, and he started a club for troubled teens because he himself could relate to troubled teens. Well, George Foreman was such a generous and is a generous person. He began to give away cars and money and a lot of his wealth. And eventually he found himself to, I need more money. All his millions were gone. And he's like, the only way I know how to make millions of dollars is to do what? Fight. So at the young age of 38, uh, he's young. For those of you who are under 30, you're laughing, but everyone over 40 is like, amen. He made a comeback. Now, his comeback was not, like, amazing at first. He fought a lot of people that were easy knockouts. Like, these are up and coming. And eventually, he began to fight some more higher-ranked fighters, And finally, fast forward to the age of 45, he had a fight with a young guy, 27 years old, and they went head to head. And keep in mind, this young man had never lost a fight. He was 27 and 0. So as he began to fight this guy, his last name was Moore, he knocked him out and beat him in the 10th round. And this guy, and this is a picture of him in shape, uh, he, when he came back, had a huge stomach and But at 45, he won back the heavyweight championship of the world. And uh, so here's the thing. How many of you need a comeback today? Some of you, COVID rattled your cage, and you're just now coming back to church. And we we welcome you. We're excited. Some of you lost a job during the last two years. And your comeback is, i got to find another job. 
Some of you went through the divorce. Your spouse walked out on you and you're alone. Some of you, your spouse went to be with the Lord. You're alone. There's so many of us that find ourselves in need of a comeback. And this entire series, we're going to talk about how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. For the person who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, just like George Foreman had that encounter with God, God convicting his heart and him accepting Christ, once you come to that state of faith, guess what? It changes everything. And someone will say, well, Timothy, I've got terminal cancer. Timothy, I'm this or that. Listen, we're not talking about in the temporary. We're talking about on the backdrop of eternity. Knowing Jesus changes everything because let's say if someone does have terminal cancer, what happens to the Christian who dies? They get promoted, right? This life is not all there is. So we're going to be in John chapter 11. So go ahead and turn there. I'm going to summarize the first 16 verses. We don't have time to read all the entire chapter. We will read a lot of it. But in part one of this series, we're going to talk about Lazarus. And we're going to ask the question, is there a life after death? Is there a life after death? So in verses 1 through 16, the Bible tells us that Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus, even though Jesus loved him, he still got sick. And when they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. Instead of rushing to him, Jesus waited not one, but he waited two days. And by the time Jesus comes to where Lazarus is, we pick up in verse number 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found out that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. You may want to underline four days because... In the Jewish culture, there's significance to four days. Now, when Bethany was near Jerusalem, it was about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, now I want you to get, ladies, I want you to think about when you're all upset, mascara running down your face. All up in your emotions. This is, and I I can't do a good girl voice, but she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said that? God, if, if you would have done this, then. In verse 22, she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, in verse 28, the drama continues to unfold. And when she had said these things, she went and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the town, but he was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary, they rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, it sounds before we go to verse 33, it sounds like Mary and Martha had talked to each other, right? They're saying the same thing. Lord, if you had just been here. 
Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And I love verse 35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's now a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died, he who had died, came bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, as we talk about this fascinating story and as we get ready to prepare our hearts for Easter of your resurrection, help us to see what the resurrection of Lazarus has to do with us. Help us to see that there is hope that because we have a relationship with Jesus who defeated sin, who defeated hell, who defeated the grave, this changes everything. So, Father, we pray your blessing on your word, and we pray not just the blessing on the reading and proclamation, but the blessing on the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, again, welcome and welcome to those listening online. Today we're in a very fascinating passage, and we are advancing towards Easter. How many of you are ready for Easter? It's coming soon. This is known as a season of Lent where we prepare ourselves and get things in a, in a good order where we think about and meditate upon the coming death of Jesus Christ. So today I want to bring you five red hot truths about this passage. And they're red hot because they have the power and potential to change your life. If you grasp these truths, they can change everything. So the first truth is a stark reality we have to face. And that's, we've got a terminal problem. Death is knocking on your door. And you're like, that's very encouraging, Timothy. Right, it, it can, but it, it can also be a mind-altering experience that even though death is knocking on my door, Jesus knocked on the door of my heart first. And even though death may be knocking, guess what? Jesus has swallowed up death. And Jesus has given us life and it more abundantly. This Past week, I celebrated another revolution around the sun. I have gone around the sun many, many miles. So every year, you guys may not know this, but you travel around the sun approximately 584 million miles. So when someone says, why, are you, why do you look tired? I've been traveling 584 million miles this year. So my birthday, I celebrated 23,360,000,000 miles around the sun. So if I look a little tired, it's because I'm going somewhere, okay? So here's the thing. Jesus speaks to where you're at. 
And you could be 18 today, you could be 80, you could be 100. No matter what age or stage of life, we all have to stare death in the face. And we see in this passage, I want you to go back to, if you have your Bibles open, to the beginning of John 11, we have Lazarus. And it said that even though he was a friend of Jesus and Jesus loved him, he was still sick. Jesus loved him and he was sick. So if you've ever been sick before, don't ever think it's not because God doesn't love you, because he loves you. There are certain denominations that teach if you're sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be sick. But that's not true. The Bible tells us we're sick oftentimes just because we live in a fallen world. And we live in fallen bodies. Now, can we commit a sin that creates sickness? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Lazarus was loved by Jesus, and yet he was still sick. And what I want to encourage you is that for Christian, for the follower of Christ, no sickness ultimately ends in death. For the Christ follower, death is not the final destination. We don't go from life to death, but we go from life to a better life. For the Christian, we go from a place of sickness to a place of healing. We go from a place of sorrow to a place of eternal joy. We go from a place to set back to a place of set up. We go a place of from heartbreak to a place where our dreams come alive for the first time because we're fully alive in the presence of Christ. So from the Christian, it's not life to death, but it's life to more life. So Jesus did the unthinkable to a friend. Now I want you to picture yourself in, uh, in Jesus' sandals. Imagine you get a phone call, we'll put it in 2022, and they're like, all right, or a text message, all right, Jesus, your, your best friend, one of your closest friends, the guy that you've spent so much time with, he's dead. And Jesus doesn't respond to your phone call for two days. How, how would you like that? I mean, we would think that is like being unloving, unkind. Some of you get upset if someone doesn't respond to your phone call within a day, right? How many of you, no one responded to my text message. Jesus didn't respond for two days, but there is a reason why. He wanted their faith to be stretched. He wanted this to end in glory for God. Because when he delayed, by the time he got there, Lazarus had been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. Now, I mentioned four is an interesting number. For the Jewish mind, and this is not necessarily Old Testament scriptures, but this is just the culture, they had a common theme. And the theme was this, that if someone died, there was a really, really small chance they could come back to life within the first three days. After the fourth day, it was impossible because what they believed is after the person died in the Jewish mindset, they believed that the spirit kind of hovered over the body for up to three days. But when you got to day four, it was impossible for the person to return back to life. So while Jesus had raised people from the dead before and no one tried to kill that person, all of a sudden Jesus raises Lazarus. And we're going to see at the end of the passage, they try to kill Lazarus. They want to take him out. Why? Because for the Jewish mind, Jesus had did something that was unthinkable. He raised someone to life after the fourth day. So here's the thing I want you to get an application. Have you ever thought that God doesn't respond to you and your timing? Does it ever seem like God seems so slow? Like you pray and you expect God to answer your prayer like 10 days ago and it's been 10 years later. I I want you to get this truth from Lazarus. God's delays are not his denials. God's delays are not his denials. Sometimes it seems God is being slow, but God is waiting for the perfect timing so he can get the most glory. 
God is waiting for everything sometimes to fall apart so that he can put it back together again. Sometimes God is waiting for the death so that the resurrection can occur. So some of you need good news today. And in a world where you turn on the news, no matter what station you watch, Fox, CNN, NBC, ABC, the BBC, I came to give you good news in a world full of bad news. You guys ready for the good news? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, I want you guys to get this, sin is now defeated. Look at your neighbor and say, that's good news. And because sin is now defeated, death is now defeated. We're talking about for the Christ follower, for the person that's a Christian. doesn't apply for the person not a Christian. And because death is defeated, I don't have to worry about sickness. I don't have to worry about disease. I don't have to worry about dying. Because here's, here's how I can make a, such a bold statement. Because Jesus rose again, I don't have to fear these things. Why? Why, why do I not have to fear sickness or death? Because Jesus took the stinger out of sin sting. Jesus gave death a death blow. And I want you to think about the, the irony, irony of this. The Bible says Jesus is the author of life. But in order for him to author life for us, eternal life, he had to kill death. Think about that. The author of life killed death so that we could be alive. So I've had I have the privilege of doing many funerals the past year, past two years. And one thing I say that kind of rattles the audience is this person is not dead. Some people are like, it looks pretty dead to me. No, they're not dead. Only their body is dead. Okay. so let's. So when I talk about the person. We say, you know, they were a wonderful person. They were, were, aren't they still are? They're even better than they were, right? So I like to talk about them in the present tense. Now, they were a husband or a wife. Yeah, that's past tense. But as a person, they're still present. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with who? With the Lord. So let's, let's clarify. When someone dies, the only part of them that dies is the body, right? The Bible gives the analogy. Paul gives it another passage. That your body is like this temporary tent. How many of you have been camping before? You set the tent up, it's great, but it only lasts for a few days and you roll the tent up, right? So whenever your body starts to get old or get sick or it starts to decline, what happens is eventually your tent is rolled up. And the Bible says God is preparing for us this amazing place, not only in heaven, but you're going to have a brand new body. You're going to have a permanent home, not a temporary tent. So what I want to encourage you is that Jesus speaks life and light into death's darkness. And this changes everything. Someone say this changes everything. You guys are more awake than the first service. Thank the Lord. All right. Number two, second truth. You have a personal invitation to place your faith in who? In Jesus, in verses 15 through 27, if you'll just scan down in your scripture passage, there's there's people that have a decision to make. Okay, Thomas, let's go back and look at Thomas, uh, verse 15, if you'll skip down to there. Jesus is in verse 15 says, I was glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may what? That you may believe. And verse 16, it says, then Thomas who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may also die with him. Now, Thomas often gets a bad rap, right? People call Thomas what? Doubting Thomas. But we see Thomas in verse 16. He's like, I'm ready to die 
with and I'm willing to die with Jesus. So sometimes like Thomas, we have these twin twin ideas inside of us. One is courage. Let's go die with Jesus. And the other one's fear. And it's possible for us to battle with both. One day you're on fire for Jesus. Let's let's go charge hell with a water pistol. The next day, I just don't know if I want to share with my neighbor about what Jesus has done with me. Right. It's like we, we battle. But Thomas had to take that next step. Let, let's go with Jesus. All right, if you skip down to verse 23, Mary and Martha. First of all, Martha. Martha believed that God could do anything. Martha believed that, yes, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus looked at her and said, listen, I am the resurrection. You're looking for a future event. I'm the reality of everything you're looking for. I am the fulfillment of everything you're looking for. You're looking for resurrection. I am the resurrection. If you'll just trust in me, I'm going to do the unthinkable. Mary, Mary was so caught up in her emotions. I want you to think about a lady that's just bawling because her brother is dead. I mean, she just mascara running down her face, just just bawling. Jesus, if, and I know you've raised other people from the dead. Now, it's day four. If you just would have been here. And you know what? Jesus met her right where she was. Have you ever been so caught up in your emotions? If you guys will remember when your emotions are high, your intelligence is low, right? So Mary, Martha, is all in their emotions. And we often say, God, if you had just been there, my spouse would not have walked out on me. God, if you'd just been there, my spouse would not have died. God, if you'd just been there, I would have got that job. God, if you'd just been there, I wouldn't be in a health crisis right now. God, if you'd just been there, my prodigal son would not have went astray. It's easy for us to say, God, if. But you know what? I want to encourage you with this, that if you look at this story, we can see that Jesus is right there in the midst of their pain. He doesn't avoid the pain. He doesn't pass by it. But Jesus goes right in the middle of their pain. And scripture tells us for the Christ follower, for the one that loves God, the one that's called according to his purpose. Paul tells us that God is working all things out together for your for your good. Right. So know that not all things that happen to you are good. Some things are really bad, but the Bible says God in the end against the backdrop of eternity will work out all things together for your good. And I love verse 28. We're going to read verse 28 and that will bring us to point number three. In verse 28, when she had said these things, talking about Martha, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. The teacher has come and he's calling for you. Truth number three is Jesus is calling your name as he enters into your pain. Isn't that so beautiful to look at the scriptures? And in all this pain, Martha is in pain. Mary's in pain. And Martha looks at Mary and says, listen, Jesus is calling you. And I, I just want to encourage you today, for those of you here in person, for those of you who are listening in the year 2030 of Jesus tarries, that he's calling your name. He's calling your name saying, I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't forgotten your pain. I have not left you. Remember, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm the one who walks through the valley of shadow of death with with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm your forever faithful friend. He never leaves us. And all of a sudden we see Jesus walking with them in pain. We, we see 
everyone around Jesus crying. And in John 11:35, this is the verse, if you grew up in church, you memorized as a kid so you could get the candy. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. Anybody remember what John 11:35 is? Jesus wept, right? How many of you memorized that verse as a kid? Easy one to check off. In those two words, Jesus wept, there is an ocean full of meaning. And I want you to think about it. Jesus, the one that spoke and the worlds were created. Jesus, the one that created Lazarus. Jesus, the one that's getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus, the one that's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, the one that prayed for you and is praying for you. Jesus, the one that's with you and for you right now. Jesus, the one that came on a rescue mission for you. Jesus, the one that defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Something about that name. Jesus wept. The one that created human emotion so that we could have expression. The one that was laughing with his disciples weeks before is now weeping with his disciples. God cries with us now so that he can rejoice with us later and forever. God enters her pain and he weeps and he's sorrowful even though he knows exactly what he's going to do. And that shows you that even though God is transcendent and he is, he's also imminent. He's near. He, he enters her pain. And he enters our struggle and he calls us by name and he weeps with us. So I want to give you an important truth today. And maybe this is the only truth you take away. But there is purpose in your pain. There is purpose in your pain. There is immense purpose in your pain. When you think about Jesus weeping. Here's something I want to unpack for you. That had had Mary and Martha and Lazarus never experienced this, they would not understand that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Here's something true that it's hard to it's hard to grasp and fathom. But sometimes we only understand aspects of God's character when we suffer. If life was all good, you wouldn't need to know Jesus is the joy giver. If you always had complete peace, you wouldn't need to know Jesus is the prince of peace. If you never had tears, you wouldn't understand that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. See, we can only experience certain aspects of God's character personally. Now, you can know it head knowledge, but personally, when we enter into it. There was a really interesting verse in Philippians 129. Paul said, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. We all get that. That's a privilege. But then he says, but also to suffer for him. How is suffering a privilege? How how is weeping a good thing? Well, the Bible tells us that when we suffer, we enter into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. We know him on levels that we would never know. And have you guys not experienced this on a human level? That if you've ever been through a crisis with your spouse, your kids, you're closer than you ever were before? Like we've been through this together. I think as a church, one of the reasons why we're closer than we're ever before is we went through COVID together. We survived COVID, right? Let's give yourselves a hand. We made it through COVID. And see, we can't return back to how we were before. Because once the mind has been stretched, it can never return to its original dimensions. We have been stretched. And now we know God on greater levels. 
So I just, this is a little sanctified imagination. But think about Mary and Martha. Think about them maybe the week before they die. Do you think they ever feared death after experiencing Lazarus' resurrection? I can imagine, imagine Mary and Martha maybe in their 90s. And maybe, maybe Mary dies first. Maybe it's Martha. And you know what? They, they know that they're getting ready to die. But it's all good because they've experienced what happened to Lazarus. Lazarus died and Jesus gave him new life. Guess what? We're going to die, but he's going to give us new life. Amen. Jesus speaks life and light into death's darkness. This changes everything. All right, number three. Actually, we're number four. I'm going faster than I thought. All right. Now is the time to respond. Move out of death and into life. Look back at your scripture in verse 38. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So it brings up the question, why was Jesus groaning? If he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why was he groaning within? There's many thoughts. Uh, First service, someone mentioned that Jesus was friends with Lazarus, so it was personal to him. That's true. But isn't death personal for all of God's creations? Everyone that God made, doesn't he sees the sparrow that falls. Everyone, it, it impacts him. So for the people that have died in the Ukraine in the war, each of those lives is precious to God. Each of those lives, they, they represent someone in the, made in the image of God. So here's what I want you to get, that Jesus groaned. There's many possibilities, but one thing is, can you imagine the creator in time and space? He's like, I never intended the world to be like this. I made a perfect world where there was no sin, sickness, or death. And guess what? Satan schemes, man sins, sin enters the world. Look on your listening guide, Romans 5.12. Paul explains it like this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So what that's saying is that when Adam and Eve messed it up, they messed it up for all of us. And you can say, well, that's unfair. Well, you can say that, but we've sinned ourselves. Even though we inherited the sin nature, we too have participated in that. We've not been above that. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin is what? Is death. So here's the thing. The reason why Lazarus died is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Now, this is a little fun, but I grew up in you know, church circles where people debate theology. And there was, one, there was one church denominational camp that believed kind of in sinner's perfection that you got to a certain point in your life where you stopped sinning. And I never met a person that did that, by the way. <laughs> but here's the thing. If Jesus took away all of a person's sin, if you could stop sinning, wouldn't you stop dying? If the way you would just keep on living, right? If you could stop sinning. But the reason why we die is we haven't yet reached that state of perfection. We haven't yet got our glorified body without the sin nature. So Jesus was groaning. And you know, today there's, there's some bad news and some good news. Which do you guys want first? You want the good news? How many of you want the bad news first? All right, some bad, some good. All right, I'll get to both. The bad news is that the death rate, last time I checked, is 100%. That's bad news. But the good news is for the person that has accepted Christ, the everlasting life rate is 100%. This changes everything. And because this changes everything, everything changes. So Lazarus is dead. But you know what? 
Jesus brought him back to life. And really, that's a picture. That's a picture of sin, that we are dead in our sin, spiritually. But when we come to Christ, he makes us alive. All right, someone say, this changes everything. You guys are listening so well, we're going to maybe get out a little early in time for lunch. All right, number five, roll away that stone. Become part of the miracle. Now, this is my, I love all the passage, every, every verse in John 11 I love, but verses 39 through 44 is just so teeming with meaning. What's interesting, look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, Mary and Martha were sisters. Mary was the one that liked to talk and sit at the feet of Jesus and should be what you'd say more the extrovert and just, you know, hanging out with Jesus. Martha, she was, she did what? She cooked and cleaned and all this. So she was very aware of odors and smells, being the the tidy house cleaner. She's like, Jesus, you know, this is, it's hot outside. It's arid Israel, very hot. After four days, this guy stinks. As I say to my kids, it stank. I mean, it's just horrible. And what's interesting, Jesus enters into this craziness and he invites him to become part of the miracle. So I want you to see, first of all, he asked the crowd to do what? Take away the stone. Now, many of you who grew up in church, you've heard John 11 like 50 times. Uh, Some of you, this may be your first time, but think about it. Could Jesus not just command the stone to roll away? But he has the crowd get involved. Like they're, they're pushing against that stone. They're, they're becoming active in the miracle. And then he commands Lazarus to do what? Come forth. Now, question, what would happen if Jesus had just said, come forth? Every dead person would come out, right? But he had to say Lazarus. He's talking a certain person. So Lazarus had to participate, right? All right, come forth. Dead person is now alive. And then he asked the people around Lazarus, and this was a dirty job. I want you to think about how dirty and smelly. person been rotting for four days, and Jesus tells them to do what? Remove the grave clothes. I don't know if I would want to sign up for that job. I'd like to remove the stone, but hey, let's, my brother over here will help remove those grave clothes. So what I want you to get is that Jesus is going to do the impossible, but he wants you to do the possible. He is going to do what no one else can do, but he wants you to do what you can do. So many times in church we say, well, I have faith. What does James tell us? Faith without deeds is what? It's dead, right? So I want you to become part of the miracle. Look at your quote in your listening guide by Pastor Josh Gagnon. I think we have a quote here. He said it so well. He said, Jesus basically puts the miracle back in their hands saying, listen, I can do the impossible But I want to ask you to do something that lines up with my impossible. I'm going to ask your faith to line up with my power. So the question I have for you today is what impossible situation are you facing? First of all, do you believe that God can do the impossible? I hope so. If you do, are you doing the possible? Are you doing what God's asked you to do? Roll the stone away. Take the grave clothes off. Come forth. So here's the idea behind it all, is that for the unbeliever, for the future Christian, you've not yet given your life to Christ, you can really relate to Lazarus. You may not realize this, but you're only two-thirds alive. You're kind of half dead. 
Physically, you're alive, you're breathing, but you're getting older every day. Hello? Soul, yeah, you've got a personality. You remember last week? She's got personality. Yeah, you've got personality. But spiritually, honey, you're dead, okay? There's no life happening. And when Jesus says, come forth, he's calling you to open up your soul, open up your spirit so that he can move in and he can give you life. So here's a little dating advice. Maybe, maybe there's a lady here and you've got a boyfriend and he's not a Christian. Did you know you can only have two-thirds of a relationship with someone that's not a Christian? They're, they're, they're partially dead. Who wants a, a partial relationship? I wouldn't sign up for that. Um, so here's the thing. He, he says, come forth. But then for the Christian, many of us have come out. But somehow we went back into the grave and got some grave clothes. We got some sin patterns. And Jesus is like, listen, the reason why he wanted the grave clothes to come off, obviously, so Lazarus could walk and talk. But he didn't want Lazarus to even look or smell dead anymore. He wanted any semblance of the old life gone. And that's why as a Christian, we struggle. There's sin issues. Welcome to humanity, right? But what we've got to do is Jesus reveals things of the past. We've got to get rid of those sin issues. Because, my friend, sin stinks. You may not smell it, but everyone else around you does, okay? So get rid of those old grape clothes. So brief review, we, we discovered five truths. Number one, we've got a terminal problem. Death is knocking at your door. And some of you are like, I'm just not going to answer the door when he knocks. He's knocking on the door. But you know, there's good news. Number two, you have a personal invitation to place your faith in who? Jesus. He's the only one that can give life when death is knocking on the door. Number three, Jesus is calling you by name as he enters into your pain. There is purpose in your pain. Don't ever think that God wastes a single tear that you shed. David, in one of the Psalms, says, You hold all the tears I cry in your bottle. He knows every single one. Number four, now's the time to respond. Move out of death and into life. And finally, roll away that stone. Jesus is asking you to become part of the miracle. So let's summarize this into one big idea. So if you forget everything we talked about today, try to remember this. Jesus speaks life and light into what? Death's darkness. And I'm wondering if there's anyone today that you're going to hear the Holy Spirit, just like what I started with, with uh, George Foreman. The Holy Spirit called him to say, come to me. You've been wondering too long. And I'm wondering for the believer, maybe some of us are stuck in an old sin issue. And Jesus has said, listen, I, I died for your sin, not so you could stay in it, but so you could be set free. Christians should not be chained, but we should be free. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. So as we pray, you go ahead and close your eyes. With no one looking around, I'm wondering, first of all, for the future believer, is there anyone here today that you're only two-thirds alive? Yeah, you're physically alive. Yeah, you've got personality. Your soul's there. But spiritually, there's just not life. And the reason for that, you've never made a decision to invite Jesus to save you. You've never walked out of the old tomb. You've never responded to the life and the light of Jesus in your death's darkness. Right now, with no one looking around, if there's anyone here today that needs to accept Christ, just raise your hand up. I'm looking, I'm looking and I'm going to pray for you. Anyone at all, just slip up your hand. Timothy, I need to respond. Anyone at all. If that's you today, whether in person or listening online, and Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, 
The Bible says if you'll just let him in, he'll come in and he'll have a relationship with you. So, my friend, if you want to accept Christ today, today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. I want you to take that step of faith through a prayer. Say it like this in your own heart. Say, dear God, go ahead and tell him now. Dear God, I do believe that Jesus died for me and that he rose again on the third day. And dear God, I want to place my faith in Christ. I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. Take all these grave clothes off so I can walk in newness of life as I choose to follow you. As you continue to pray, there may be a believer here today that, man, you're you're a Christian. You're following Jesus, but, man, you still look and smell partially dead. Those grave clothes you haven't completely shed. So I want you to tell God to say, God, tell him what, what you're struggling with and say, please forgive me. Forgive me for this issue. It may be chronic worry. It may be that you're addicted to a substance that just has control of your life. God understands, and he loves you right where you're at. Just tell him, God, please forgive me. Please help me. Father, we thank you that you've called us to life, and you've given us life and it more abundantly. Lord, thank you that this changes everything. And because this changes everything, everything changes. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said. Amen, amen.